listening to Fox Sports Radio. You know, I've often said that in the superstore of life, sports are the toy department. And we've got lots of toys to play with tonight as we transition to August with a full head of steam. We've got Major League Baseball pennant races, NFL preseason, college football returning to campuses. And if that's not enough, we've got controversy, argument, insults, and well, enough about the new SEC Super Conference. But on that note, welcome back to another award-winning edition of Straight Out of Vegas, the weekend adaptation. I'm Bernie Fratto. We're coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. And tonight, we'll take a deep dive, a deeper dive, into the winners and losers of the Major League Baseball trade deadline and how that might, in fact, affect the eventual division winners in the Vegas betting odds, which may or may not have shifted. I'll get to that. We don't talk much baseball on this show. Uh, and with football really gathering ahead of steam, certainly in the NFL. And in, like, like I said, there are colleges that have reported to camp this past week. This is one of the last chances we get to do it before the World Series. It's worth noting as well because some futures odds have changed. In about 15 minutes, we'll be joined by our own Chris Plank. You hear Chris gracing the airwaves of Fox Sports Radio Sunday nights with Arnie Spanier. In addition, he's also host of the uh, Plank Show Monday through Friday on 1400 AM in Oklahoma, where he's also a member of the Oklahoma Sooners football broadcast team. So I can't wait to talk to Chris about the Sooners' recent decision to vacate the Big 12 how it could affect this season, and of course, the relationship with their in-state rival, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. After Bruin Finley's update, we'll talk about the latest stories swirling around Las Vegas, and we'll talk about the latest developments in the NFL. And uh, of course, at the end of the show, we'll have some data designed to twist your mind. Mackin has the night off, but trust me, I've got plenty of stuff, and uh, it's the kind of oddball data that you only find on this show one of the things we're going to talk about is sophomore jinx quarterbacks who come back year two after having a good year one sports are entertainment but they're more than that they're a shared experience as such people want to talk about them you've come to the right place tonight we've got a lot to talk about this is straight out of vegas the pregame show you always wanted and as they say in egan minnesota it's going to be lit all right as i mentioned we have got genuine pennant races legitimate pennant races and last week, uh, the All-Star, or check that, the Major League Baseball trade deadline came and went, and 10 All-Stars were traded. Now, that's unheard of. You've had 10 players who played in the 2021 All-Star game that ended up on a new team. That is unprecedented in Major League Baseball. And what you know at the Cubs, their three studs, Bryant, Rizzo, and Gallo, they all homered in their first game with their new teams. And, uh, you know... Rizzo and Gallo are right back in the pennant race, and so is Bryant with his San Francisco Giants. So I think we, I think this is shaping up to be a very exciting down-the-stretch pennant race. Uh, remember, we only had a 60-game season last year, and uh, the playoffs are, were not expanded in 2021, so it's going to get dicey. Uh, I want to take a quick look at some of the teams that, you know, participated in the trade deadline and what did it actually, what did it do to their odds? Now, I mentioned last week I was very fond of what the Blue Jays did. They are not, you know, if they season it today, they're not in the playoffs, but they are creeping up towards a potential wild card spot. And they added Jose Barrios 
a great starting pitcher, and two closers, Brad Handy, a left-hander, and Joaquin Soria, a right-hander. The Blue Jays were only 22-1 to prior to the trade deadline, and for reasons I don't know, they're now 27-1 to to win the World Series. There's probably some value there because as they close down the stretch, while you're holding a ticket for 27-1 to that may turn into uh, you know a forest fire if they don't make the playoffs, you can hedge back against that by fading the Blue Jays. And, you know, listen, long shot teams get in there all the time. Prior to the Dodgers breaking the mold last year, in the last 11 years prior to that, uh, no team with uh, better than 10 to 1 odds had actually gotten to the World Series and won it. This feels like it could be one of those wide open years. I just mentioned the Giants. They had Chris Bryant. They're still 9 to 1. And boy, did they pull out a wacky game in Milwaukee tonight. That's a terrible beat if you had the under. The total was, I uh, believe, eight and a half, two to one heading into the ninth. The game ended nine six in extra innings with the Giants on top. Got to keep an eye on them. The Chicago White Sox, to me, are becoming a major story. Uh, and when you look at the pitching they added, you pair Craig Kimball with Liam Hendricks. That gives them the best back end bullpen in the game. They also add a gentleman named Caesar Hernandez. He's a veteran. He's a second baseman. He brings depth. He brings steadiness. Uh, their second baseman, Aloy Jimenez, he has a groin injury. He suffered uh, just days before returning, uh, after returning from the, the, the season-long injured list. If he can't go, you've got another player. The right, right now, the White Sox are primed to soar into the playoffs. Obviously, barring something I can't foresee, you know, like the 64 Phillies with Gene Mock, I don't think the uh, White Sox are going to be on the outside looking in. They're 7-1 to to win the World Series. The Athletics, they do it every year. They don't mess around. They got Sterling Marte from the Marlins, and they gave up a pitcher that you probably never heard of, Jesus Lazardo, for the rental. Jan Gomez, Josh Harrison from Washington. And the, the I'm telling you, it's going to be an absolute fistfight in the phone booth as far as the American League and which teams are going to end up in the wild card. Again, great value on the A's, 31 to 1 to win the World Series. Now, that's value for a team that has been a fixture in the playoffs. The Yankees, they're very slowly creeping back toward the living. Uh, prior to the trade deadline, they were given a 23% chance just to make the playoffs. They're now. About a 44% chance the World Series' odds have gone down from 21 to 1 to 18 to 1. Probably a little rich for them. I don't think they're a World Series team. But listen, they got some major upgrades. They got Joey Gallo, Andrew Haney, Anthony Rizzo. And then, you know, you've got Clay Holmes and Joely Rodriguez. The, the, the problem with uh, the Yankees is that in addition to, you know, navigating what's a very difficult American League East because Tampa Bay and Boston are going to be challenging and then there are plenty of other teams going to be vying for wild cards. There's just a lot of top-heavy pressure on that team and they're somehow trying to stand under their $210 million luxury tax threshold. They couldn't find a taker for Luke Voigt. I think the Yankees end up seeking under their own weight. The Dodgers, interesting game tonight. They pull one out against the Angels. They acquired the most accomplished starting pitcher on the market, Max Scherzer. And if you watch Trey Turner play every night, man, what a treat. He stole 43 bases three years ago, led the league. He runs the bases like a wild man. He's a superb defender. He was at second base tonight. He's a 300 hitter. And I will just say this, that 
There are there are cynics that claim the Dodgers made this trade because they have to cope with the consequences of the 102 million they sort of committed to Trevor Bauer, who is a name in the past now. But I would say this also, although teams don't really repeat, the Dodgers are going to be right there. This is a team that is a veteran team, and their odds went from four to one to three to one. If Cody Bellinger could somehow wake up and Mookie Betts. He doesn't seem healthy to me. He had some questionable at-bats tonight. But nonetheless, the Dodgers were active at the trade deadline, and they are one of the odds-on favorites to win the World Series, although I wouldn't, you wouldn't catch me at 3-1. to one. Uh, The Tampa Bay Rays, they're like magic every year. Must, something is in their DNA. They get Nelson Cruz, uh, Sean Armstrong, Jordan Luplo. That gives them a lot of depth. They have a certain culture in this team. And uh, uh, they pick up a, a high-leverage reliever, Diego Castillo. I don't know what Seattle was thinking. Uh, and as long as he keeps his uh, nose clean and, and doesn't rock the boat, well, Tampa Bay, they're on the short list. Now, they were 16-1 to 1 before the trade deadline. They're now 14-1. to 1. And you can never count out the Tampa Bay Rays. They, I think they're reeling from last year after pulling Blake Snell. We don't need to relive that. Uh, but this is a very good uh, baseball team, and they actually got better after the trade deadline. Something about the Houston Astros, man. They just keep rolling. I know that uh, they're still taking heat from the scandal a couple, three years ago when they were stealing signs. They have had injuries, but damn the torpedoes. They had Kendall Graverman. They had Phil Maton to their bullpen. I saw Phil Maton pitch Sunday. Electric stuff, absolutely electric, I would say, you know, and, and Dusty Baker has a good ability. He's the manager, has a good ability to get teams to October. Not so much when they get there, but right now the Astros, they're about plus 480. They're just under 5-1. to one. Uh, That's not bad. So I would say that, uh, yes, they got better in the trade deadline. And if you just – they're another team. If you just watch them play, you look at their lineup, 1 through 8, you look at their pitching, your, their defense, their approach, they're going to be an extremely tough out. Now, we I'm going to mention a team here, and I know that they are going to be nowhere near the playoffs, but I want to give some credit to the Cubs because if you're a long-term Cub fan, there's something to be said for ripping off the Band-Aid, and man, did they do that. They broke up all their core. Uh, they had won the title, and now the front office is to make the most out of the returns. But Jed Hoyer uh, realized this group was not going to win anymore, and he did something about it. By the way, the Mets, uh, and give uh, Jason Smith credit, he's been predicting the Mets' de- demise for a week, and it looks like they're heading in that direction. They're only a couple games over 500 there, but their two pursuers, the Braves and the Phillies, uh, they don't look really super impressive in the standings. I think the Phillies are five games over 500. They've been playing a lot better, uh, but you've got to love their aggressiveness. Okay, Atlanta brought in four outfielders, including Jock Peterson, I- including Jorge Soler, who always seemed to never fill it, you know, live up to his promise in Kansas City and before, plus a, re- a reliever by the name of Rich Rodriguez. The Phillies, now Dave Dombrowski, okay, everybody forgets, he's the president of Philadelphia now. 
Dave won in Florida. Before that, Dave won in Montreal. I was there in Detroit when Dave built some phenomenal teams with the Detroit Tigers, got to the World Series in 2006. I covered that team. Dombrowski once again lives up to his reputation by acquiring pitchers Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy from the Rangers. He brought back Freddie Galvis, who started his career in Philadelphia, and they got him from from the Orioles for a song. We are seeing real, live, legitimate pennant races. All right. And I know teams like the Rockies, they didn't really do much during the trade deadline. The Red Sox didn't do much. Uh, The Mets, well, they did get Javi Baez, and Javi Baez can help them, but he's only one guy. I think the biggest disappointment, if you're the Padre fans, usually A.J. Preller, their general manager, he's really developed kind of a reputation for big game hunting, but he tried to get Scherzer and Berrios. He couldn't get either one. And uh, then the Giants get Chris Bryant, the Dodgers get. You know, Scherzer and Trey Turner, the Padres may fade. They did have a nice win tonight against Arizona, but down the stretch, and this is where it's going to get interesting musical chairs in the National League West because the Giants, again, if you watch them play every day, they don't beat themselves. They don't give you four outs an inning. They don't kick the ball around. Uh, They don't make silly mistakes. Their pitchers don't walk eyes. They're efficient, and they're not afraid to play a little small ball down then. They get a big win tonight in Milwaukee. They're going to be a tough out. But the point is, either the Do- only one of those teams, the Dodgers, Padres, or Giants, can avoid the wild card game. That's where this is going to be a lot of fun, and that's where we are going to see, I think, some legitimate, fun pennant races. All right, coming up, the big news in college football is not name, image, and likeness. It's Oklahoma along with Texas, heading to the SEC. Who better to talk about that than a gentleman who's right there in the belly of the beast, our own Chris Plank. He's going to join us, and I've got some choice questions for him. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm a little concerned. I'm on record as saying I believe Oklahoma will win the national championship this year. They've got an outstanding team, eight starters back on defense from a defense that's improved. I love Spencer Rattler. And just look all all the personnel that Clemson, Ohio State, and especially Alabama, who not only lost a first-round quarterback, well, they all lost first-round quarterbacks. Bama lost four coaches off their offense and a ton of production. They only returned three offensive starters. I think Oklahoma is poised. Will this be a distraction? I'll ask Chris Plank. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes, 2021 Nielsen Report limitations apply i'm bernie fratto coming to you live from the las vegas fox sports radio studios this is the pregame show you always wanted so don't go away you're listening to straight out of vegas fox sports radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app search fsr to listen live we're back on straight out of vegas the pregame show you always wanted i'm bernie fratto coming to you live the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Let's welcome in a gentleman. You hear him every Sunday night, 8 p.m. to 11 Pacific with Arnie Spanier. And, of course, weekdays on his own show, 1400 a.m. in Oklahoma. And he's a wealth of knowledge on many things, but especially Oklahoma football. Say hello to Chris Plank. Chris, how are you, buddy? I'm good, Bernie. How are you guys tonight? Good, good, man. Really appreciate you joining us yeah, tonight no because I uh, – I'm on record as saying I believe Oklahoma is going to win the national championship. Not hyperbole. Eight starters back on defense. I love Spencer Rattler. Meanwhile, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson all lose quarterbacks 
to the NFL in the first round. Bama lost a ton of offensive production, including four coaches on the offensive side of the ball and eight starters on the offensive side of the ball. My concern, maybe it's not a concern, is this move to the SEC and the scuttlebutt around it become any kind of distraction to your Oklahoma Sooners? I would say no, and I think that's just because of how Lincoln Riley has handled it. He let he let Thursday, their local media day, Bernie, be the day where you could ask any question you want about the SEC, right? Uh, because the way this went down so quick, it went down in ten days, and there you couldn't say anything. I mean, because we didn't know, right? I mean, you Lincoln Riley couldn't come out as soon as the rumor started and say, "I don't want to do this," or "I'm all for this," because Nobody knew, right? And and you couldn't have an official word from anyone with the university because you don't want to risk lawsuits or, or anything that could put your school behind the eight ball. So that's a long preamble to get to the point that I think they've got really good leadership in Joseph Harris, the president, and Joe Castiglione, and they've done a good job of positioning this team and university specifically for long-term success. But I just I, – I feel like it's – the only issue that could possibly happen is if you go on the road somewhere and you start getting stuff thrown at you. I mean, <laughs> honestly, that's about it. And it's going to be hostile, but it's always hostile. You're Oklahoma. When you go to all of these places, I mean, I, I heard Sark this week talk about Texas is the biggest game, and that's fair. But as far as the biggest game against the best team you're going to see on your schedule – that's been Oklahoma in the Big 12 since about 2005, whenever Texas, what, last won the national championship. So, um, yeah, I, I think Lincoln did a good job of saying, ask me now, and then we're done. We're not talking about it the rest right. of the year because we can't, because we've got to focus on what we have in front of us. And if we allow that to become either a distraction or something we talk about, then it's, a, it's just tragic for this team. And to that end, Chris, depending on which pundit we listen to, you might not find your way to the SEC for four more years. Right. Or could it be sooner if monies change hands, as I think Doug Godley has surmised? Well, um, again, I, I know what the buyout looks like. Everyone knows what the buyout looks like. We've seen the numbers reported, and I just – uh, Texas probably has that money sitting in a coffer account, and I don't. I don't care. I don't care how it's reported. I don't think Texas is going to help help Oklahoma pay their buyout because of what you know the uh, ESPN owes them from the Big Twelve Network, or, or excuse me, from the Longhorn Network. But I mean, listen, it's it's right now. Twenty twenty five is a lot of lip service. This thing isn't going until twenty twenty five, and I, I think that's the that's one of the two big questions that are remaining. Right, the the first question is what happens with the eight remaining teams, and then Bernie, the second question is okay, when does Oklahoma and Texas actually make its move to the the SEC? So I, I'm a firm believer that we're going to play this season and next season, and then they're going to be out. But if again. These eight teams saying they have time, they can be patient. If somebody calls, you know, as the great Chris Rock once said, a guy's only as patient as his options. Uh, or excuse right. me, a boy, as, loyal, as loyal as his options. That, that, that's right. That, that patience is going to be shot to you know what if other conferences that have some swing start showing up on the doorsteps of Oklahoma State, West Virginia, and Kansas or Iowa State. Chris, let me ask you a question. Uh, you mentioned the remaining teams. I heard that – the Pac-12 president and the Big 12 president had a meeting this week to discuss possibilities of those two conferences combining. Is there any truth to that rumor? Well, uh, and again, 
Yeah, that that's been out there, Burn, and they did. And uh, everyone that's anyone in the in the college beat ranks has somehow confirmed or talked about that in some way, shape, or form. I just again, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to take on it, it, the eight remaining and become the Pac-20. I just I don't see that happening, and I don't think that that's something that's an easy sell. Even if George Klyvkov wanted to do it to the remaining teams in the Pac-12, because. Right now, you're taking over for a commissioner that sold everyone on a, a conference network that's just been an anchor, right? Mm. So you're you're going to then go to them and say, we're bringing on Baylor, right? I mean, I just – I don't see that being reality. The scheduling alliance is something that's intriguing to me because when I hear that, everyone makes a big deal out of it. But, you know, that's, that's one non-conference game, right? Or, or maybe two with the way that it could shake out for each of these teams. So I don't think you're, you're looking at a merger. George Klyvkoff is being very smart about listening. Uh, I mean, it's kind of wild to think back, Bernie. You go back, what, 15 years and how close Larry Scott almost had the Big 12, or, the Big 12 to a merger with the Pac-10 at that point that would have become right. the Pac-16. I mean, he had it. it. It was there, and it just at the last minute, Texas wanted its network and wanted to control its third-tier rights, and Oklahoma and Texas made a lot of money off their third-tier rights. So I, I don't see anything outside of a scheduling alliance right now because – I, I think all these teams would be great fits, but I don't know if that fit is in the Pac-12. And you're telling me West Virginia is going to want to go to Corvallis for a home football game or for a baseball series or something of that nature? No, I just I don't see that being the fit for either one of these conferences. Not in their present uh, configuration. I, I agree with that. However, to that end, I'm hearing where this is heading is instead of a power five, a power four, four 16-team super conferences, which ultimately will lead to more and more TV rights, which I think is where this thing's heading. I know the Big Ten is the you know the cream of the cream, the cream of the crop in terms of their $2.7 billion TV contract, which is actually going to increase here in a couple of years. Do you? What are your thoughts on the four-team, power-team, 16-team super conferences that seems to be where this thing could be heading? Well, who are you adding to the Big Ten then? You know, who are you adding to the uh, Pac-12? Those are questions I don't think I can answer, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. I think the big – first of all, uh, you know, I, the, the reason the Big Ten added Rutgers is because it gave them a New York TV market. Right. The reason it added Washington, D.C. – or check that, Maryland, it gave them a Washington, D.C. TV market, which enabled them to get that behemoth contract, and there are more Big Ten alums living around the country, right, uh, than sure. anywhere. And so – but to your question, you know, when you start to get into specifics like that, however, it does seem like this is heading somewhere. Let's, let me dial it back just for a second here sure. to Oklahoma and in the state of Oklahoma. In the past, we've seen in-state rivals like Louisville and Kentucky in basketball where Denny Crum and Joe B. Hall hated each other. What does this do to the relationship now going forward between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma? And after this year, are those teams going to get to play each other anymore? Yeah, uh, real quick, Bernie, I did want to say – on who you're going to add, I find fascinating because if you're going to get to 16, and I'm not disagreeing that that's eventually where we're going, uh, if it's four four conferences, is, you know, the ACC already has Notre Dame. Are you going to talk them into going to a conference? Does the Big Ten say, hey, let's get Kansas and then have arguably the worst two ads in the history of conference expansion for college football, Rutgers and Kansas? I don't know. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating conversation. Yes, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are going to play again. I mean, listen, it might not happen for a couple of years but I, my, the funny thing to me and, and I you know it's 
it's one thirty in the morning where I am, so I can feel a little comfortable saying this. I've spent my whole time in Oklahoma with Oklahoma State fans letting Oklahoma know that, well, we're better than you in all of these sports. We don't need you. You're gooners. Do you know the best way to get an Oklahoma grad off your off your porch, Bernie? You pay for the pizza. And That's then all right. of a sudden, Oklahoma goes to another conference, and it's, whoa, Whoa, what, what are you doing? You, you traitors, how dare you? Well, all I've heard since I've been in Oklahoma, and I came here in 1993 to go to college, all I've heard is how, oh, Oklahoma State, we're your equal. We don't need you. And then so as soon as Oklahoma goes off, and it's like, why didn't you take us? So Oklahoma's got some hurt feelers. I mean, I think you can understand that, right? But I, eventually this is going to still be played. Uh, South Carolina still plays Clemson. Georgia Tech still plays Georgia. J- um, uh, there's all these rivals that still, take place throughout college football this isn't a texas texas a&m situation it's just not regardless of where oklahoma state lands i i do think in time this will continue to be played across all sports it's a great rivalry for this state and i think it's been a lot on the national level for both programs no i think you you bring up a good point and i think common sense will prevail everybody thought texas a&m would vote against texas why well, embarrass to. yourself yeah <laughs> it's go, it was gonna happen anyway so why embarrass yourself Chris, I wish we had so much more time. Uh, I really believe what I said about the Sooners. I'd like to maybe get you on before the uh, Iowa State game. And I think it's in late October. Is that what yes, it is? Yes, sir. Yeah. I, uh, it's a big game, man. This is You hit it on the head, though. It's wild that we're sitting here four weeks from the start of the college football season, and most of the questions about Oklahoma seem to be offensively. They seem really buttoned up depth-wise defensively. This is their most complete team, and I think they're poised yeah. to take advantage of the three, uh, also, you know, the three usual suspects who lost quarterbacks to the first round. All right, thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate thanks, your time tonight. Appreciate you, man. Have a good rest of your show. Thank you. That is Chris Planky here on Sunday nights with Arnie Spanier, eight to eleven, and around the network various other times as well as his daily show in Oklahoma on fourteen hundred AM. Coming up, I had so much incredible response from last week's segment about the preseason and the NFL and the trends and first-year coaches, quarterback rotations and the like, I've got to revisit it because the preseason starts in earnest this Thursday. But first, well, let's go to the man who often likes to party with Don King, and he always tells us it's very much a hair-raising experience. It's Bruin Finley with the latest. Well, Bernie, knowing how much hair you have, I, I guess that would be quite the party. A gold medal count for USA. This is special because the United States are going to come out of the Tokyo Olympics with the most gold medals, 39. That is one more than China as things are wrapping up in Tokyo. Overall, when it comes to the medals, USA with 112 to China's 88. China is second. So the Americans... For the third straight Olympics, we'll have the most golds out of any other country. And for the seventh straight Olympics, Bernie, we'll have the most overall medals than any other country. And that one gold medal to put the Americans in front of China in the gold medal count was thanks to Team USA Women's Volleyball winning in straight sets just moments ago against Brazil, which is the first gold medal for women's volleyball for the Americans ever. Earlier, Team USA Women's Hoops got a gold medal after taking down Japan 90-75. to And so for that program in Team USA Women's Basketball, that is seven consecutive gold medals as they continue their reign over the world. Brittany Griner in this particular contest had 30 points. She was dominant, a juggernaut, a showstopper, 14 of 18 from the floor. In baseball, the Dodgers deliver a knockout punch to the Angels 5-3. 
victory as Chris Taylor breaks a tie with a two-run double in the eighth inning. The Padres outfox the Diamondbacks 6-2. You Darvish 12 strikeouts. The Giants nail down the Brewers 9-6 in 11 innings. Brandon Belt busting out two home runs. And the Reds wrap up the Pirates 11-3. Jesse Winker oozing out six RBI. The Astros tongue-tie the Twins 4-0 as Houston holds the AL West lead by three games. And finally, Harris English nestles atop the leaderboard at the PJ Tours St. Jude Invitational in Memphis. Bryson DeChambeau, though, two shots back. Here he comes, roaring up the leaderboard at a 63 on Saturday. He is in a tie for second. Back to a man who has the same muscular tone of Bryson DeChambeau. It's Bernie Fratto, a man who you don't want to mess with in the gym. Brian, thanks a lot, buddy, and welcome back. All right. Uh, I did a segment. Well, we do it every year, but this subject has a tendency to become a lot more mainstream as the years go by because it's no longer a secret. The truth of the matter is professional bettors will tell you that the preseason in the NFL can be very, very profitable. And if you don't believe that the games in the preseason are not as daunting as regular season games or certainly playoff games, then ask yourself why do the sports books have limits that are far lower during the preseason than the regular season because they don't want to expose themselves. As I've said before many times, how often are you going to get two professional teams on a field playing a game and only one side really cares if they win? Now, I know on the face of it that doesn't sound normal, but when you look at coaches, quarterback rotations, Uh, things of that nature, you're going to find that patterns have developed. As a matter of fact, since 2005, the most successful coaches in the preseason against the spread are Brian Flores of the Dolphins, John Gruden of the Raiders, John Harbaugh of the the Ravens. He's amazing. The Ravens have actually won 17 in a row, 16-1 against the spread in the last five years. Mike Zimmer, he likes to cover the spread as well, and Pete Carroll. These coaches try in the preseason. They want to win in the preseason. Their tendencies don't typically change from year to year. Uh, And I forgot to mention Mike Tallman, who I mentioned last week, heading into last Thursday night's game against the Cowboys in the Hall of Fame game. Mike Tallman, 35 and 21. Now he's 36 and 21. That game opened as a pick 'em. It closed as Pittsburgh minus two and a half, which leads you, which shows you how much money came in on the Steelers for them to move the line almost three full points. And the Steelers, they covered easily. They went 16-3. to three. So there you have it. One of the books already. On the flip side of the coin, the coaches with the worst preseason records in the last 15 years, Mike Vrabel of the Titans, Andy Reid of the Chiefs, and Bill Belichick of the Patriots. Now, there's some other things, too, that I think you need to look at, like quarterback rotations. Uh, for instance, here's a classic example. The New Orleans Saints, their coach, Sean Payton, He's on a he, his record is seven and fourteen in the preseason in the last six years. He doesn't care a whole lot, but that could end this season because New Orleans they're going to be actively searching for a successor to Drew Brees. Who is really going to start a quarterback week one? I guess you could say it's going to be Jameis Winston, but you've also got Taysom Hill, Ian Book, and Trevor Simeon. That's a pretty good depth chart in the NFL when it comes to playing in a preseason game because the quarterback rotation is paramount and the information on how much those quarterbacks are going to play, which is usually published, is paramount when it comes to 
betting preseason games. Most teams, they're willing to publicly say or post, you'll find it even in the sports section, what the quarterback rotation is going to be. Like, you know, maybe Jameis Winston's going to play two series, but then Taysom Hill's going to play the rest of the first half, and Ian Book's going to play the whole third quarter. Trevor Simeon's going to play the whole fourth quarter. These are guys that have started in the NFL, and it, it matters. It generally pays to play teams with quarterback competitions on solid depth charts. That exists in the NFL, and they're out there. You just need to do a little bit of research. How about Chicago? They're the Bears. Look at their rotation. Andy Dalton. Dalton's won over 100 games in the NFL. Nick Foles has won a Super Bowl. And then, of course, Justin Fields. He's a number one draft pick. He's the darling. He's the heir apparent. You know you're going to get an effort out of him. That's a pretty good quarterback rotation when it comes to betting in the preseason. Between Dalton and Foles, you basically have two starting quarterbacks. And Fields is going to play his tail off. He's going to be fighting to win uh, the job. Now, the ideal scenario is when you just have two decent quarterbacks and a coach who likes to win. Again, these are all things you can look at. Rookie coaches, first-year coaches. First-year coaches want to start strong. They want to leave a very good first impression, just like anybody else when they're starting a new job. And you want to convince the fans and the players and the coaches and the owner and the media that they made the right decision. And there are seven first-year coaches this year in the NFL. Urban Meyer, uh, obviously in Jacksonville. Brandon Staley with the L.A. Chargers. Arthur Smith of the Falcons. Nick Sirianni. Hold that thought. I'm coming back to Nick Sirianni in a second. Of the Eagles. Dan Campbell with the Lions. David Culley with the Houston Texans. And, of course, Robert Saleh with the New York Jets. First-year coaches in their first August home game. 21-6 and six against the spread. In their first August home preseason game. Since 2015, I mentioned Nick Sirianni. All right. This Thursday, Nick Sirianni and his Philadelphia Eagles are home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're laying one point. He's going to win the game. By the way, by the way, one is a key number in the preseason. It's not like three, four, six, and seven, which are the key numbers in the regular season. One is more of a key number because if a team is down 20 to 19 and they score a touchdown, they said they're down 20 to 13. They score a touchdown. They're going to go for two. They don't want to play overtime at the end of the game. So one's a key number. Uh, Nick Sirianni, first-year coach, August home game. Who are they playing? Pittsburgh. One of the things we talked about last week is look to fade the two teams in the two teams who played in the um, Hall of Fame game the following week. That's Dallas and Pittsburgh. Dallas, I believe, is at Arizona. I have to look at it. I know they play Arizona. Uh, and I know that Philadelphia is home against uh, Pittsburgh. So you fade Pittsburgh. You've got Nick Sirianni. There's two strong trends right there. Look, these aren't going to be a 1,000. You're not going to win them all. But if you follow these, I believe you're going to have a very successful and profitable uh, preseason. Uh, I know a lot of guys are looking at Urban Meyer in terms of his competitive nature and Jacksonville, and they've got two good quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew. They're both on the roster. You get Gardner Minshew in the second half of the game or in the fourth quarter, that's where a lot of times these these preseason games are won. So, again, for the umpteenth time, the preseason is uh, much more friendly to bet than the regular season. The real key, just identify motivation. You've got one side that's going to want to win more. 
for the various reasons. Typically, there are a little, there's a list of coaches who have a track record, as I mentioned, who went who have done this over a couple of uh, you know 15 years or so, including Pete Carroll. And there's another situation where that's a stable coaching staff and a system, and they haven't changed much around. So they're not trying to implement something new. And the truth of the matter is, some teams don't care about winning preseason games. It's just a matter who has more motivation. You might have a team who's 0-1 on their first game playing a team that's 1-0. After their first game, those two teams play each other. The team 0-1 is going to have a little bit more motivation. One final thing. Teams who win the Super Bowl, typically when they come back in the preseason the following year, don't much care if they win in the preseason. Just not that big a deal. Now, this goes back 30 years. Super Bowl teams that are laying six or more points in the preseason, the following season, after winning the Super Bowl, 45 and 62 since 1983. That means if you bet the other side, you'd be up about 58%. You win your 58% of your bet, you'll make all the money you ever want to make. Uh, just since 2011, Super Bowl defending champs, only 4-14 four and 14 against the spread. When they're favored by at least six points. Well, guess what? Week one, the Tampa Bay Bucks. this is week one of the preseason, they play Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are getting six. The pros have, have fired on Cincinnati. That's where the value is. Yeah, I know we're hearing about Joe Burrow's knee, but it's a situation where Tampa Bay just simply isn't going to be that motivated. Six points is a lot to lay in the first game of the preseason, especially if you are the Super Bowl champ. We'll probably revisit this subject again, but there you have it. Remember, it's starting for real now. We've got a full slate of preseason games, but if you listened last week, you'd be 1-0. You would have gotten on to Pittsburgh Steelers. Coming up, how do quarterbacks do the year after an unexpected breakout season? Josh Allen had an unexpected breakout season or the five quarterbacks before him who had a similar season, how do they follow up the next year? We'll tell you. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year. It's amazing because Discover is accepted at 99% of the places in the U.S. that take credit cards. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2021 Nielsen Report. I'm Bernie Fratto coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. This is the pregame show you always wanted, so don't go away. You're listening to Straight Out of Vegas. Straight out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, this is Jason McIntyre. Join me every weekday morning on my podcast, Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. This isn't your typical sports pod pushing the same tired narratives down your throat every day. Straight Fire gives you honest opinions on all the biggest sports headlines, accurate stats to help you win big at the sports book, and all the best guests. Do yourself a favor and listen to Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're back on Straight Out of Vegas, the pregame show we always wanted. I'm Bernie Fratto, coming to you live from the Las Vegas Fox Sports Radio Studios. Before going any further tonight, I want to thank my broadcast team back in Los Angeles. That would be Bo Benson, Chris Perfett, Brian Finley, and Ricky Herrera. And tonight, training and learning the ropes. 
All right. Uh, Josh Allen got the big money this past week, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills. I think he's very deserving of it. Uh, he had a huge breakout year last year. They do a phenomenal job in Buffalo running that play action. We are in a pass-happy league in the NFL. Allen can still keep plays alive with his feet. He is the entire package. He had a breakout season. He even got MVP votes. Now, I'm of the belief Josh Allen is going to be very good again this year, but the history is not kind. If you look at the last five quarterbacks who got MVP votes for the first time in what they did the following year, Cam Newton, remember that great year he had in 2015? Um his QBR rank was 11th in the league. The following year, after that breakout season, and he got an MVP vote, he actually dropped to a QBR rank of 25. Matt Ryan had the huge year, the year they went to the Super Bowl. He'd never gotten MVP votes before that. He had actually a QBR rank of one. That was the great Atlanta team that had New England down 28-3 to at the halftime. Couldn't close them out. The following year... Matt Ryan comes back, drops four slots to a QBR rank of five. Even Derek Carr, that same year, he got QB, he got MVP votes for the first time, dropped from a QBR rank of 16 to a QBR rank of 20. Before that, Carson Palmer fell into that category. We're talking about breakout quarterbacks, all of whom received MVP votes for either the first time in their career or the first time in more than a decade. And all of them had the following season had dropped their QBR by an average of 18 points. This is significant. Carson Palmer dropped from 1 to 18. Tony Romo dropped from 1 to 28. So I'm of the belief that Josh Allen is going to have a good year. But history shows that it can be very unkind to quarterbacks having a breakout year that got MVP votes the following season. The boogeyman came out to get them. We'll see what happens. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Straight Out of Vegas. I'm Bernie Fratto. Next up, we're going to take it at 3 a.m. Bernie Fratto is back with Fox Sports Sunday and Fox Sports Radio. Keep it locked. Straight out of Vegas! <laughs> 